Welcome to Nutria Performing Arts Stories. I'm Dwayne Burkhard. In part three of my interview with actor and author Rain Wilson, Rain and I talk about his new book, Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. We also talk about his humanitarian work with Lee Day Haiti. And then, as we always do, we'll return to Nutrier and talk about WNTH and our one time together on stage. Here now is part three of my interview with Rain Wilson. Welcome back, everyone. We are continuing to talk with Rain Wilson. And again, we're in the author Rain Wilson portion of the show. You said that the purpose of the book is to advance a conversation about the importance of the divine dimension of existence and how it can influence our lives and our futures collectively and individually. Can you talk a little bit about the this the spiritual revolution that you you seek and and hope for and how that came to be important to you? So for me I've talked about this on a lot of interviews and recently, but I had a lot of what we know now are mental health crises in the in my twenties and early thirties, especially. I've, I still do to this day, but um, I still su suffer from an anxiety disorder, diagnosed anxiety disorder. I think people throw the word around anxiety a lot, like anyone who feels vaguely anxious or stressed out says, oh, I have an anxiety disorder. But in a lot of the dark nights of the soul that I had in the 20s, I you know, was having anxiety attacks, panic attacks, a lot of depression, alienation, loneliness, a lot of addiction issues. In the 90s, you know, Dwayne, we didn't have words for this stuff. We didn't talk about no one was going to therapy and right. you know, no one, there were no podcasts or app tough it out kid you can do it tough it out yeah you just yep. suck it up and and tough through it yeah and uh yeah, absolutely so the only thing i knew to do was to turn to words of you know from various various faith traditions to to, to start reading books about spirituality and i started with the road less traveled which is a classic and but then i was really digging deep into the Bible, and I read the Bhagavad Gita and the writings of the Buddha and the the Quran. I was a big I was a big reader, and uh, fancied myself a bit of a philosopher. and And I thought that maybe because I had jettisoned my faith and religion and God and morality and any of that gooey stuff, that maybe I had, as I say in the book, maybe I had thrown the spiritual baby out with the religious bathwater. So. I was wondering if there was something there. And the learning about spirituality, pondering it, praying, meditating, reading these holy words really helped me personally in my mental health crisis and kind of offered me a, a handhold. And so I wanted to share that aspect of it. So that's one aspect of spirituality. The other aspect, which I think the Baha'i Faith does really, really well, is it looks at spiritual ideas for uh, societal transformation. So, and that's the thesis of Soul Boom is like, you know, spirituality is really important. We need to be looking at these divine ideas and holy words and faith traditions and, and, and wisdom traditions and excavating them, seeing how we can apply them to our life. But we also need to look at them on how they can affect challenge, sustain, 
enrich our collective life, our systems, how we do most everything. Everything, you know, the, the main idea in the book is that things are really broken right now, systemically. Everything has been created in some kind of adversarialist way. It's a one-upsmanship and it's, you know, don't tread on me and every man for himself. There's this kind of toxic individuality and competition that capitalism breeds. I'm not necessarily anti-capitalist, but I do think that the worst of capitalism uh, loses compassion for profit. And we have to figure out, and it's unsustainable. So there's a lot of spiritual ideas that I wanted to dig into in Soul Boom that uh, have a little bit to do with social transformation. The, you know, certainly the, the mental health epidemic that young people are suffering, but it has a lot more ramifications than that. So it's, it's, a, it's a big swing, took a big swing. People seem to like it, but you know, we'll see if it stands the test of time well, I- or makes any kind of impact. I'll tell you why I think one of the reasons I think people like it, and I'm gonna I'm I'm going off script here for just a minute, but yeah, I I, I watched your your Google interview, the Google Cast interview that you did, mm. and mm. there was a moment in there where you were very where I think you kind of went off script for a moment, and you could sort of feel the sincerity as you were talking about the fact that you said, "Look, I don't want to be dismissive, and I don't want to pretend." that we don't have problems with religion, that there aren't issues that, you know, there are definitely things that organized religion has done and been a part of and does that are frankly problematic and even systemic things that are are deleterious to, I think, you know, mental health and compassion and and a a better, broader society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you sort of owned that up front and then said, but wait a minute, let's not Again, as you just said a moment ago, let's not throw that the the baby that is in there with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that that's one of the things. I think that's uh, there's something in there that is why people like it because there's an honesty to that, and and still yet a hey, why don't we explore these ideas? And so I think that's probably why people like it. There's an argument, you know. Listen, the religion has caused so much pain and shame and judgment and wars and destruction and kind of grotesque judgmental moralism that has turned people off and made the world a worse place. And I get that. And a lot of people uh, grew up with a lot of religious trauma. And so they don't, they no longer want anything to do with religion. They're like, oh, I was dragged to church or, oh, my parents were born again or, you know, this or that or whatever. And, and, but then they stop there. And there is a lot of truth in these faiths, and there is also a lot of healing, and there's a lot of positives that we are currently losing in contemporary society. The idea of a community coming together in transcendence, seeking transcendence, seeking communion, prayer, meditation, service to others, something larger than ourselves, than just this kind of constant kind of lust and greed-filled egregious cultural narcissism that we undertake that's what a a religious faith can give you you know there's a lot of positive things to examine as well so it's a dance between these two things how do we rectify religion being such a cause of evil and yet holding in it such beautiful tools and and community that we are desperately need 
And I agree. I think that's really important. We are talking with Rain Wilson uh, about some big stuff, and uh, I hope you're all enjoying it as much as I am. We're going to talk about Haiti when we come back, and Rain is going to give us a little bit of an update there. We're talking with Rain Wilson, and we'll be right back. This episode of Nutria Performing Art Stories is being brought to you by my new book, Rags, Riches, and Roller Coasters, My Life as a Serial Entrepreneur, by Dwayne Burkhardt. The book chronicles my incredible 25-year roller coaster ride during my crazy, difficult, wonderful, tragic, and amazing years as a small business entrepreneur. The book is available at Amazon.com in ebook, paperback, and hardback. Get your copy today. And welcome back to the show, folks. We are talking with Rain Wilson. And the last thing I want to talk about today is Lita Haiti. How did you get involved with the challenges facing Haiti? And then and then tell us a little bit about what Lida is doing. Yeah. So one of the things that happened to me when I became well known as an actor was I started getting approached by all these nonprofits to like, hey, will you give us money? Will you fundraise for us? Will you MC an event? Will you be on our board? Will you visit our programs? You know, because people like celebrities and, you know, that's a kind of big part of that whole world. So I I wanted to make a difference. I really wanted to make an impact and use my platform in a in a positive way. And I wasn't sure quite how to do that. And um, I started working with this nonprofit called the Mona Foundation that supports educational initiatives all around the world. And we went and visited Haiti in 2009 to visit their initiatives there. We visited a bunch of schools and we just fell in love with it. It was, you know, obviously devastating poverty, but beautiful culture and people and laughter and, and great food and music and art. And, and my wife and I were just really smitten with Haiti as so many people are. There's something that about it that really captures the imagination. And two months later was the earthquake. So the hotel that we had stayed in in 2009, in November, in January, had slid down the mountain and everyone inside of it was killed. Just to give you as an example, there were 200,000 people that died in that quake. It was one of the worst disasters like in human history, literally. I mean, it was hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people, not to mention hundreds wounded, hundreds homeless, hundreds of thousands homeless, uh, in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So we went back and volunteered our time and we were doing this arts workshop and we were staying at this refugee tent city and we were teaching arts to adolescent girls and we met a bunch of really amazing Haitian folk and just again fell in love, saw what the need was and we really loved this idea of really serving this specific uh, population, which is adolescent girls and doing it with arts and literacy. And not to create professional artists, but to inspire young women in Haiti to have a voice and really take charge of their own uh, life and their own journey. So we started Lide Haiti a few years later, and um, a good friend of ours, uh, Dr. Catherine Adams, was moving down there, and we got a bunch of wonderful Haitian friends that are were educators and psychologists and artists to work with us, and and we started Lide Haiti, and 
it's been an incredible journey, incredibly difficult. There's nothing harder than being in the nonprofit world. A lot of a lot of nonstop fundraising and but it has grown tremendously. We're in rural Haiti. We do scholarships. Uh, we do tutoring. We have healthcare and food programs. And we're working with almost a thousand girls in 12 different locations. So we have a staff of 40 and um, it's really blossomed into a, 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 an amazing, gorgeous organization. Thank you very much for that update. Uh, it's incredible work and I, and very important work. And I'm, I'm grateful that you've chosen it and uh, that you're able to do uh, what you're able to do. Oh, thanks. So last question. This is a little, and, and you can take this wherever you want to go. What do you most want to be remembered for? Thinking of all the things we've discussed today, what's the thing you want to be remembered for? Dwayne, this podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Nutrier Performing Arts Stories. There you go. That's it. That's a great question. I'm going to tell a little story and it really does have a, again i want to bring it back to to nutria and there are a couple other nutria things i want to throw in there i didn't get to talk about my radio show you you just moved right along i didn't even get to wnth talk man we do we do a couple of shows about wnth every year so we'll definitely go back to that if you want to go back to that so when i went to nyu there was a wonderful uh woman teacher there named zelda fitchandler and this was a philosophy that she taught about acting was that actors are shaman. And this is very much in line with Suzanne Adams and how she thought about actors. Sounds very familiar. Yeah, because the idea that, you know, you can learn acting to be like, I'm going to have a nice career and memorize lines and do them convincingly, or I'm going to make people laugh or whatever. But the idea that, you know, what is a shaman? We don't know exactly what a shaman did. But they're part medicine man, they're part storyteller, they're part myth keeper, they're part singer, dancer, they talk about the day's hunt, they talk about the, our ancestors, they, you know, they're in touch with the gods, but they're also entertainer and cajoler and mystic. You know, there's, there's a lot of different roles that at various points in time, almost all the cultures in the world have something like a medicine man, it could be part priest and part stand-up comedy, uh, stand-up comedian. So I loved this idea as we were training at NYU and really training with, with Suzanne Adams, because it, it broadened what being an actor meant. So at risk of sounding very self-serious, I, I guess I would like to be remembered as being a shaman. You know, I made people laugh with Dwight, you know, I entertained in other roles. I wrote books about spirituality and about God and and I, you know, and I was of service to my fellow man and entertained along the way. And that's that would be uh what I would want on my on my tombstone. Um, that idea of remembering me. So, you know, at the end of the day, people are mostly gonna remember me for Dwight, but I think if anyone cares a little bit more and maybe reads one of my books or you know, checks out some of my other work or dramatic work or whatever. There's, there's a, there's a whole other uh, level there. Um, but, but thanks, thanks for asking. That is a great answer, uh, and I, I, I swear, I, I hope that somebody comes along many, many, many decades from now and 
comes along to your tombstone. And if it's not written there, they take a marker and write shaman. <laughs> okay. I'll leave that to you and your <laughs> yeah. listeners. <laughs> yeah. In case I die in the next couple of years, Nutria Performing Arts Stories. <laughs> this will be it. You'll, you'll know what you want. Please deface my tombstone. <laughs> you have permission. So before we get to my to my last thing there, since you, you did mention WNTH, and as I said, I really do consider WNTH to be part of the performing arts infrastructure, even though it was it technically wasn't. But there was so much crossover, and there were so many really, truly wonderful, amazing things going on at that station. And last year, I dedicated two entire episodes to WNTH, and I, I intend to do so again this season. And obviously, I did it for four years, and it was one of the most transformational experiences uh, of my life. But since you mentioned it, and since you'd like to talk, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a question here, and I'm going to say, let's talk a little bit about WNTH, and tell me about how that experience, along with your experience in performing arts, helped kind of shape your Nutria experience and you know helped you as well in, in, in the process. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I had this interest in 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 music. You know, I wasn't like hardcore punk, but you know, punk, new wave, indie rock, kind of all of the new sounds that were coming out at the time. And WNTH was really into those as well. And I was like, wait, you've got a radio station on the roof of your high school? Are you kidding me? And they're like, they had posters up, like, do you want to work at WNTH? Do you want to have a radio show? I was like, yeah, I want to have a radio show. Are you kidding me? <laughs> break so i went in and just said hey i'd like a radio show and they're like okay here's your two hours or whatever and or hour i i, I don't even remember when my show was i'm assuming it was a weeknight i don't maybe it was a weekend day i don't remember but i called it uncle rain's story hour and i would play uh, a lot of uh alternative indie punky new wave stuff i loved you know rem and xtc and so much early U2 was just coming out at that time. And and then I would read children's books on the air and take calls as well. And uh, it was my voice and it was, I guess, how did it help me as an artist? Like it was, it was me, it wasn't a role. It was, it was me, Rain Wilson, telling jokes and being a goofball and introducing songs. And I was just so excited uh, to be a part of that. And, and now my career is like, you know, I still get to play some roles here and there and which I'm, I'm grateful for, but I, I also do more hosting stuff. I have this show on Peacock called the geography of bliss, where I travel around the world looking for happiness and, you know, more podcasting and stuff like that, where it's my voice and it's who I am. So, you know, I love that Nutrier allowed me to kind of help find my voice. That's, that's, the, that's what happened to the rain Wilson story hour. There you go. There you go. By the way, to, to just to let you know, if you go back to one of the podcasts last year, the reason that we were so into that music at that time, when you when you came to Nutrier, your junior year, my senior year, the year before was when that transition really got going. And uh, the one person most responsible for that was uh, one of my guests last year, and that would be your classmate, Christine Polidoris, now Christine Webster. Oh yeah, Chris Polidoris, of course. Yeah, great. So she she was she was really one of the driving forces behind that. And it was a, it was fun to talk to her about about how that happened. If if people want to know what WNTH was like, it was an everything station. It was what you just described and all of and, and so much more. And that free formatism, if you will, that thing that it allowed us to to do and to be was something that was again so very, very special about its place and time. Mm. 
Yeah, well said. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. So, so go ahead. No, you. But you were saying that you, we we crossed paths. Right. So that's what I was going to get to here. So so one of the most fun things about this show for me, as as the host, is when I get to interview people who I know and who I worked with at Nutrier, and I I usually close those shows by telling those guests what I remember about them. Now. You and I were both very involved in theater at Nutrier and at the same time. But ironically, and I'm pretty sure about this, I'm going to be really embarrassed if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure we only performed on stage together once. And when I look back at the schedule of shows now, it's kind of funny how we kept missing each other. For example, my senior year, your junior year, you started out doing uh, Time Out for Ginger. Yep. While uh, while I was doing Marty, and then you did uh, Wilderness. Yep. While I was doing Private Lives with the amazing Carolyn Novak, who has promised to be on my show, and since I know she's listening, I do want to make that clear that I want this to be this season, Carolyn. Come on, Carolyn. Come on, get on the show. And then you were the Frog Prince. Yeah, Story Theater. Yep, Lauren Moore. Yeah. And while I was doing Shakespeare's uh, Love's Labor's Lost ah. with, uh, among others, Denise Siegel, who was in Time Out for Ginger with you. Oh, yeah. And she is also, by the way, quite an accomplished artist today. But so so we were both there. and But somehow we keep missing each other. Right. But then for my very last show at Nutrier, uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. Ah, okay. Which included this large... And incredible cast, this huge production, but most notably, of course, Jim True Frost and you and Stacey Granius in the main three roles. And I didn't just get to be on stage with you at that time, but I got to see and hear you. And I can tell you that a lot of the deep thinking that I hear you express now, the passion, not just for ideas, but for ideas that matter and the search for truth and meaning that you had those things back then too and that's why i am not remotely surprised to see you out in the world pursuing those things today oh that's very that's very kind of you to say i i don't recall necessarily having that mentality uh, or that, that that focus at that time. I was just trying to get through puberty and <laughs> do some plays and have a girlfriend. And But it, I wouldn't say it was your focus, but it was there. Okay. It was definitely there. And, 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 and for some reason, and I don't remember what interaction you and I necessarily had, but I'm I absolutely sure that is the, the one thing that I remembered. If you had asked me you know, a couple of years ago and said, you know, what do you remember about, you went to high school with Rain Wilson, what do you know about him? And I would say, the guy was always a thinker. There were there were big thoughts going on in, in that head. That's what I would have said. It was a big head and it still is. <laughs> no, you're very kind. Who were you, uh, who were you in, uh, in, in Cyrano? Uh, I was, I was the guy who uh, crazily picked a fight with Jim True in one of the opening scenes. And then I was one of the the bad guys. And in fact, it, and, and the podcast about uh, Shakespeare, the wonderful Tim Walsh is one of my guests that week. And I tell the story because I actually got stabbed in one of the fencing scenes on closing night 
for Cyrano and I get to tell that story about um you, uh, our, you literally got stabbed not I literally got stabbed my it's my Phil it's my lone Phil Clement story uh who is I believe your class president yep. and um yep. I, I I love I love to tell the Phil story because it really was it was it was great fun that's great but it, it that's it was that was absolutely it. But it, it was kind of funny because again, as I was looking through the you know the the listing of the shows and all this, again, it was weird because you and I were constantly doing stuff, and it just it was like we were always on you know opposing shows basically that were running yeah. on yeah. we're just on different tracks, I guess, and until we got to until we got to Cyrano. Interesting, but it was amazing because like Cyrano, like I don't know where they get the budget for that because. It was like a Broadway set and costumes and oh yeah, I don't know how we put that thing together. We had fight choreography. I mean, it was six six weeks of fencing lessons. Yeah, for the and the fight choreography. That's right. And uh, and you know, my first two years of college, I never did. Uh, maybe I did one or two plays that had the, uh, a budget equal to that. So we really were doing college level theater productions at a high school. It was insane. And in, in fact, in the in the opening podcast of uh, last season, the very first podcast I did, I had John Gian on and we talked about the fact that these shows like Cyrano, the big ones, they had costume budgets. And in, 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 this is high school in yeah. 19 in the early 1980s. They had costume budgets that were between 30 and 40 thousand dollars. That's nuts. It was it was just yeah, it was insane. And the the things that it, it, it kind of went back to one of the things that we talked about was how unique this school was and what the incredible opportunity that it gave us to experience the arts in a way that was just simply not possible anywhere else. And, you know, and it and it and, and it has to be said that the way the American education system is funded on property taxes, on local property taxes is completely unfair because right. 10, 15 miles south of Nutrier in North Chicago, you, you had people that didn't have, they didn't even have drama departments, right? You know, so you have this complete uh, disparity and income inequality. And not that Nutrier should eliminate its arts, but that all the schools should be funded in such a way where, you know, where they get to have big costume budgets and get to do amazing plays and allow their students to have radio shows. And I feel so blessed, but I also feel really angered that, you know, we have this kind of system that's based on, you know, parents and PTAs and school boards getting their local funding. And, you know, if you happen to live in a rich neighborhood, you know, you happen, you get to be at a great school. And if you're in a poor neighborhood, you're in a shitty school nine times out of 10. So I, you know, I think it's really important. And I, I spoke at Nutria a couple of times. I spoke, I did a graduation talk there and I came in and spoke to the drama department and maybe one or two times. And, and I was like, listen, don't be embarrassed about your, you know, elite status about your privilege. Like it's great. Enjoy it. Get the best possible education, revel in it, but make sure you understand what it is that's happening with you and take those resources that you're learning and share them and give them and fight to make sure that others have the same opportunities that you were given. Spend your whole life working for that. Because I think a lot of times kids just feel ashamed, like, oh, I've got rich parents. I'm at this rich high school doing a play with $30,000, you know, costume budget. And that's a bigger budget than the entire arts budget of a, of a school on the South side of Chicago. And they feel bad about it. And it's like, well, you can feel bad about it if you want, but it's better to 
make the world more just. Right. Take the take take the take the advantage and the privilege that you've had and go use it to make a better world. Yeah. 100%. And by the way, I think the work that you're doing and the work that a lot of uh, of Nutra graduates has been to that end and I think that's that's wonderful. Yeah. So our guest today has been actor, author and philanthropist Rain Wilson. Rain, it was a privilege to perform on stage with you 40 years ago. And I hope you know that there are a lot of people who you went to Nutria with who watch you perform today and wish you the very, very best. Thank well, you. Well, I love, I love that you're doing this podcast, Wayne. I really do. And um, it's such a pleasure. Those two years, like I said, like my entire life changed, met some incredible people that I'm still friends with today, like Tria Smith and Phil Clement and Terry Capsalis and 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 many others, some absolutely extraordinary folk from that time and it was transformative and i love that we're telling these stories because it was a special place and a special time so thank you for having me and uh go trevians nutria performing arts stories is a copyrighted production of narratives llc it is written directed produced and edited by a guy who really enjoyed this one by yours truly Dwayne burkhardt I also want to encourage all of our listeners to visit LideHaiti.org. That's L-I-D-E-H-A-I-T-I dot org and make a donation today. Also, for those living in the Nutria area, a reminder that tonight, November 17, 2023, is the Fall Jazz Ensemble Concert at 7 p.m. in Gaffney Auditorium. For more information about our podcast or to suggest a guest or sponsor, please email info at NutriarePADStories.com. And please join us next week for our first WNTH-themed show of the season, when our guest will be radio personality and host of the very successful and popular Word Balloon podcast, John Suntress. Until then, thanks for listening. Please hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time.